please try again. Welcome to Talking with Tiger, the Washita Sports Digital Network podcast. Welcome to episode four of Talking with Tigers, the podcast of the Washita Sports Digital Network. My name is Chris Babb, the director of the Washita Sports Digital Network, the student media production program of the Rogers Department of Communications at Washita Baptist University. It is the first couple of weeks of summer as we record this. It is just uh, May 31st, and our students have been gone from campus. Well, they've been gone from campus for uh, a little over two months now, but uh, out of classes uh, for about three weeks now. And so probably not a lot of uh, consistent uh, content over the summer. We will be bringing you periodic uh, podcasts, though, especially as changes are made and and happen in regards to fall schedules regarding related to COVID-19 and how universities particularly Washita are preparing for that. Uh, if you are just joining on our podcast, this is episode 4. We invite you to check out the other 3 on our Washita Sports Digital Network SoundCloud account. Episode 1 was a trailer of sorts uh, interviewing uh, Dr. Jeff Root, the Dean of the School of Humanities at Washita Baptist University and kind of the advisor uh, that got uh, the Washita Sports Digital Network uh, started. Episode two, Josh Salem, one of our students, visited with Washita Athletic Director David Sharp. This was closer to the time that uh, all of the uh, events and activities had been canceled because of COVID-19, and Josh talked to Coach Sharp about those processes, and at that point, what he thought might the, the, the future might hold. In episode three, Bates Yoakum and Matthew Branch talked about some of the features, uh, one of the features that uh, our students had done on the weekly Roar Rundown show. That's our weekly studio show where we highlight uh, the the coming week and the previous week in uh, Washita Baptist University Athletics. After we went home for the COVID-19 break, that became a uh, a, a remote show. And so uh, the students decided they wanted to honor the seniors from the spring sports at Washita that uh, had their seasons cut short. And so each week they took a different sport, baseball, softball, tennis, and then uh, track and field and interviewed seniors uh, for those. And in that uh, episode, Bates Yoakum talks with Matthew Branch about his interview with the Washita baseball team. I also had an interview with the voice of the football Tigers, Rex Nelson, who is almost on his 40th year of covering Washita Tiger football. You can check out those episodes as well. Also on our SoundCloud uh, uh, page or our account are a few episodes of Washita's Best, where Josh Salem visits with coaches on the Washita athletic staff about uh, their some of their best, some of their highlights from the 2019 or 2020 season. There are four of those episodes up right now with a few more to come. But this is episode four of Talking with Tigers. Our students will be back in action as uh, our next episode will feature Matthew Branch, who's a junior from Whitehall, Arkansas, or will be a junior. He'll have an interview with Washita Athletic Director David Sharp. Uh, it'll be the first week of June when that interview takes place and kind of give an update on where the universities are. And that's kind of what our episode is today. As I had a long interview, I really appreciate the time that he gave us with the commissioner of the Great American Conference, Will Pruitt. Uh, Will Pruitt is in his 10th year as commissioner of the Great American Conference, as the 10th year of the conference as a whole. And we talk a little bit about that at the beginning of the podcast. 
Will Pruitt accepted an offer to become the first commissioner of the Great American Conference on October 18, 2010, more than a month before the league had officially been named. Uh, he is the only commissioner the conference has had. He had served 12 years as an associate commissioner in the Division II Western Virginia Intercollegiate Athletic Con uh, Conference, obviously based in uh, West Virginia. But uh, he has uh, had his hands full in this 10th birthday. We talk about the, uh, the different uh, year that this has been. And then we also talk about uh, a lot of COVID-related materials. We take, get his take on the cancellation of all the activities due to the COVID-19 virus in March, uh, where he was when he got the message and what he, he thought that was going to look like. Then we kind of went chronologically through some NCAA-related decisions. A lot of good information that Will gave. And again, thank you to him for spending as many minutes as he did. It's about a 45-minute interview. We, we talked a little bit about the addition of the years of eligibility that the NCAA has granted students because of the lost year in the spring of 2019, uh, excuse me, 2020. Then we talk about plans having to be made in the world of athletic administration, even with unknown uh, the many unknowns about what's going to happen in the future. I think that's where everybody is right now, no matter your job, your profession. Everybody's having to make multiple plans, not knowing what the future holds. And we talked to Commissioner Pruitt about uh, how that affects the Division II college athletics, particularly in the Great American Conference. We talk about one of the first conferences uh, to cancel fall sports, the California, California Collegiate Athletic Association. Um, and uh, at that point, uh, we'll put out a a tweet about, hey, this is California, but it doesn't quite affect us. We're still trying to prepare uh, safely for our students to return in our contest to in our, our universities and institutions to participate. We talk about the NCAA adjusting the minimum and maximum number of contests just for the 2020 uh, and 21 seasons for all the sports. And then we talked about the recently released schedule but for the GAC football and basketball teams, that was released on Friday, May 29th, and that's when we recorded this as well. Safety came up, as it will, as, as that's going to be the forefront of all the decisions that these institutions are making, not just in the athletic world, but uh, we talk a little bit about that as well. So it's a full episode. We appreciate, again, Will Pruitt for taking uh, several minutes out of his time on a late on a Friday afternoon after this uh, information had come out. And right now, we'll go to episode four of Talking with Tigers with Great American Conference Commissioner Will Pruitt. All right, we are joined on the Talking with Tigers podcast by Will Pruitt, Commissioner of the Great American Conference. Will, I know it's been a busy uh, um, 10, 12 weeks of uh, a different kind of busy, so I appreciate you taking your time out to visit with us today on Talking with Tigers. Hey, Chris, it's a pleasure. And are you sure it's only been 10 or 12 weeks? It feels like it's been 10 or 12 years. Uh, I, w I would agree with you. I don't think anybody would, uh, I don't think anybody would dispute that if you, if you said that. Uh, we do want to talk to you a lot about the, uh, uh, the COVID related matters, uh, all the way back to some of the cancellations and then the processes that, uh, NCAA administrators and President's Council and things have gone. Uh, have have had to plan uh, some of those because I know those are also an inexact science. But before we get into that, I want to talk briefly about uh, this was the 10th year of the Great American Conference. And and, and 10 years ago, um, if you were to look back, go back 10 years and look forward 10 years, is, is this what you had in mind? You, uh, kind of uh, talk a little bit about the successes and the, and the steps, uh, uh, the positive steps forward that the Great American Conference has had since beginning 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, I would honestly you know, probably be pretty happy looking at it when you know, I took this job. It was in October of 2010 to you know, think about where we're at. And, you know, we've really been a model of stability with our membership. And you know, we have a number of schools that want to be a part of what we've created. But I'm, I'm so proud of what our coaches, administrators, um, student athletes have created because yeah, it was very frustrating in the start because I knew we had a good Division II league in, in a number of sports, but there was you know a little bit of that perception of, oh, these schools, you know, there's a reason why they left the Gulf South or there's a reason why these schools left the Lone Star Conference. But to, to really see our schools become more and more competitive on, on a regional scale and a national scale, because we're, we're in such a you know, difficult Division II environment. We've got the MIAA that is an incredible Division II league that's so strong across the board. The Lone Star in one direction with you know, some really high-resource schools that are able to be very competitive. The Gulf South in the other direction with you know, so much tradition in football, baseball, that you know, there's – you know, there's such a high standard that you've got to reach just to be competitive in our part of the world. And you know, I think our student athletes and coaches have, have taken us to that point. And, you know, Chris, I think that um, you know, it's just a matter of time. Um, sometimes it's just getting the right break or the right draw. You know, thought that we were going to get a national basketball championship with Southwestern's ladies last year. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, they lose in double overtime this year. Season ends with SAU softball team number one in the country. You look at a break here or there, and you know, who knows how far Harding or Washita could have gone in football over the past few years. And I think we've got a really strong league in, in baseball. You look at a sport like basketball, um, our men were – our league was the strongest league in America, according to the Massey ratings. The women were the second strongest league in the country. So I think our people are doing some incredible things, and I'm so proud of them. What a year, uh, the 2019-20 school year. What a way to celebrate a 10th birthday, huh, uh, with uh, the spring of, of COVID-19 in the spring of 2020. Um, I, I, You know, it, the question is an obvious and a rhetorical one that obviously nobody has ever seen anything like this. And in talking to some of our students here, hearing our OSDN students talk to their peers who uh, had their season stopped, uh, their spring sports season stopped, especially the seniors. Our students did a series with the seniors from our spring sports teams that we published on earlier podcasts and also on our Roar Rundown shows. But uh, um, just to hear those students talk about the, the sudden stop uh, and just how you couldn't believe it, and I think that's pretty a, 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 a universal thought. There's, you, you never thought anything like this could come and stop the uh, stop the sports world like it did, and that impacted all of our institutions. It's amazing how how the world just um, you know, we go from we're playing our basketball tournament one week. There's you know, there's no cases in Arkansas at the time. Um, the Saturday of our basketball tournament, the first case in Oklahoma was reported in Tulsa, and you know. I, I, I'm in the office on Monday of that week making preparations to go up to to the regional tournament. But, you know, there's those 
you know, talks, okay, so I think we're going to go forward, but we're going to restrict how many people can be in the building. And, you know, it's amazing because it was, you know, in our geographical part of the world when, you know, it's not just the sports world, but it felt like everything changed the, the night that, you know, and I've got the game on my TV between the Thunder and Jazz. Like, why aren't they playing? Why's the game? Right. And, you know, you have a – you have a COVID-19 positive out of one of those players. And uh, you know, it's just amazing how, how that made everything, whether it's athletics or, or, you know, colleges being open, businesses being open, you know, it just goes totally off the rails at that point. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think back to, uh, I actually, we had some students who were working in the Arkansas high school, uh, state basketball championships, both with Arkansas PBS in the truck, and one of our students was running social media for the Arkansas Activities Association, and we had to come back for a faculty meeting. Uh, I had to come back and said, all right, in a faculty meeting this afternoon to talk about some immediate plans, and sure enough, uh, that was the last night of basketball. That was, I believe that was on the uh, uh, Thursday of that, the days run together, but uh, uh, in, in talking with Coach Sharp, one of our students interviewed Coach Sharp, and, and David said, was, he said they've kind of equated it to going seventy five miles down uh, uh, seventy five miles an hour down the interstate and just coming to zero uh, immediately and that's exactly what it was and and what a heartbreaking way for some of those seniors to to have their seasons in but then I guess as we start talking into the covid uh, the uh, processes and plans, the first one of those for the NCAA was to uh, allow spring sports student athletes to regain a year of eligibility and i know um the rule the uh the the, the division one gets all the attention but uh, there were some differences in between division one and division two but there is that uh, option for students at division two institutions to come uh come back and, and recoup a year uh, of eligibility if they want to and i know that's not a decision that uh, uh is an easy decision for students but also it opens question marks for the institutions as well yeah, there, there's a lot to work through. I mean, it's the right thing to do for those student athletes, but you know, a lot of those student athletes, you know, they're graduating. They're going. You know, it's hard to turn down, particularly in this economy. You know, and I don't think it'd be very prudent to turn down you know, a great job offer because you want to play one more year of sports, no matter no matter how much it hurts to to hang up the cleats or or you know whatever sport you play, but between you know just trying to maneuver the logjam of them, you know roster availability, you know, you've got you've got your returning seniors coming back for another year, but you're up, you've also got incoming freshmen or transfers that uh, that you already had in place coming into your program. So you know, there, there was a tremendous amount of roster maintenance being done and. Of course, I joke about it. Um, I've never understood why an NFL team's never hired a Division II coach to be to be a general <laughs> manager because nobody knows how to maneuver a salary cap than than the coach of a Division II or Division One um, Olympic sport because you deal with the, you know, a partial scholarship model and there's so many moving pieces that. Um, that's a parallel to professional sports. You know, I tell, you know, I tell people in many ways that you know what a Todd Knight or Scott Maxfield does, you know, with managing their roster. 
you know, it, it's different because it's part of the educational process, but you know, it really does have a lot in common with you know, how they maneuver 36 full scholarships. How do we uh, allocate this to all of our student athletes? To you know, Bill Belichick trying to fill out a 54-player roster in the NFL. There's, you know, it's amazing how much the principles of of what you're trying to do in in allocating those resources are similar, even though it's you know really pretty disparate to think about comparing the New England Patriots to the to the Washita Tigers. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that would be a different uh, different comparison. Uh, but you know, you go from you go from that decision. That's one of the immediate decisions that the NCAA um, allows the institutions and the students to make. Uh, then I think at that point, people are still in the mindset of, uh, of whether it's shelter in place or quarantine or wherever you are across the the country, safety came to the front and said, all right, we've got to figure this thing out. This is a world of unknowns. But one of those, some of those unknowns were with regards to what's going to happen in the future. And I think uh, anybody who says that, that maybe even right now, but especially in late March, early April, when uh, universities are going to remote learning and finishing the semesters in remote learning, you get asked, well, what do you think the fall is going to be like? And, and I think the only answer was, I have no idea. But on the other hand, plans still have to be made. And so um, when, as, a, as a conference commissioner and as pre- presidents of institutions, those plans have to be made not knowing what the situation is going to be, and that has to be a tough situation to be in as well. Yeah. And, and that's not just for athletics. That's for that's for, for institution-wide, but obviously we're talking to you about athletics right now. Yeah, p- picture driving up, up Highway 7 from, from Hot Springs Village in the middle of the night at 100 miles an hour with no lights. That, I mean, that's really how – I mean, you're trying to navigate all these things that you can't even see, right. but you've got to make the plans. And, you know, it's plan upon plan upon plan, you know, a lot of which, you know, will never see the light of day, a, a lot that I hope never see the light of day. Right. Um, but, you know, it's it's so difficult because, you know, you, and particularly earlier on in, in the um, pandemic, you know, you know, how lethal is this? Is it, uh, you know, it's, you know, you're not just uncertain for, you know, your job, but, you know, what on earth, do, you know, are we going to do as a family to stay safe? You know, you know one of the, th- the thing that I have absolutely learned this spring, I'm the world's worst second grade teacher. <laughs> um, you know, you throw in, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to make sure that you've got your kid taken care of and trying to, so, I mean, it's just such an unsettled time. And, um, you know, I, I, Chris, I've done everything with, you know, essentially since March 13th, I've got a couple of guiding principles. Does this preserve the enterprise? Hmm. Um, you know, I want to make sure that whatever we do that, you know, our, that athletics and our 12 colleges and universities are doing all that they can to support the wider mission of our, of our, of our broader university campuses. Um, I want to make sure that what we do are, are things that we try to preserve as many opportunities as we can. That means scholarship opportunities, um, team opportunities, and this 
this is where I'm really proud of where Division Two has gone, and I think it shows just some of the differences in in the bigger school mindset and the Division Two mindset. Um, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a few minutes. Division Two, we had 85 percent of our athletic directors across the board support minimizing the number of contests that can be played. Was anybody happy about that? No. I mean, you know, I, I definitely didn't, didn't jump into this business because I want to have less competitions. But one of the big overriding principles is, okay, we've realized that we're taking a financial hit. You know, if you're at a state school, appropriations won't be the same this year as they were last year right um you know enrollment it's uncertain at a lot of private institutions um how much more will it cost us to to put on events once we're able to put on events so we're seeing possibly you know some of our expenses rise at the same time that that we're seeing budgets take double digit hits and i think one of the overriding things is okay if we can eliminate a few non-conference games, you know, in this sport, um, you know, eliminate a handful of games in this other sport and on down the line, you know, does that mean that now we don't, you know, we don't have to be like um, Akron University and cut five programs or be like Bowling Green and cut baseball? Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, yeah, I'm really proud that, you know, of all the things we've reduced that, you know, we're not happy about you know at this moment on on may 29th you know we have not seen anyone in GEC drop an olympic sport in part because we see you know all of our athletes are important to our campus communities as you know one you know it's we value all of the student athletes but uh, you know in athletics is an enrollment driver is an important thing but you know what I want to do, everything I do, does it preserve the enterprise? Does it allow us to keep as many programs? Does it allow us to keep student athletes to keep playing? Does it allow our our staffs to stay the same um, within reason? You know, I would hate to. I would hate to think about, you know, on some campuses, you know, playing a full baseball schedule maybe means that. Uh, that the S- the assistant SID loses his job, and yeah, I don't think that's an outcome that anybody wants. Right. I, I do want to talk about that president's council decision here in a few minutes, and then uh, transition that into um, how the GAC responded and where we are today. As you mentioned, we record this on May 29th. The GAC just released updated uh, football and uh, basketball schedules, as well as some information on championships. But before we get into that, one of the first, I guess, dominoes to fall that uh, might have caused some panic was when the, the story came out about the California Collegiate Athletic Association which is a 12-member league of NCAA Division II athletic programs in California, obviously, uh, part of the California state system, said they weren't going to play sports in the fall. And uh, some of those are uh, football-playing schools. Obviously, there are a couple of uh, Division I schools in that as well. But I, I do remember you saying, putting out a tweet that said, wait a minute, this, this is not us, this is not how – 
this does not in, uh, involve us, and we're still going to work uh, on finding ways that we can safely uh, compete in our athletic programs, for our, have our student athletes safely compete and participate in our athletic programs in the fall. Even today, I saw the word, you know, these plans are what we have now, uh, but safety it, it was uh, used in your words again today, uh, in, your, in your release again today. The safety of student athletes, I know, is paramount for any administrator, and and how you maintain safety in an unknown environment has got to be one of the biggest puzzles that you, as administrators at institution at the conference and institution level, are having to come up uh, figure out. Yeah, it is, and when there there was a lot of fear from people that really don't know that much about Division Two, they may know. You know, individual schools that they have you know, a friend or family member played at or graduated from. But the CCAA, and, and I feel horribly for their their student-athletes and everybody across that California university system that wants to be back on campus, that all of their schools are part of the California State University system. These are schools that... You know, there, there's nothing comparable to those schools in in within our footprint. These are schools like Cal State Los Angeles with 35,000 students. Right. Um, Cal Cal San Diego with with 30,000 students. Um, schools that you know, athletics aren't a huge part of their campus life, and really, you know the traditional campus life that you would associate with you know tiger tunes at washita or homecoming at henderson or you know the various things that go on across all 12 of our campuses you know the campus life's not a huge deal these are are almost all very large commuter schools with located within large cities in a state that um, has been hit by the virus much differently than we have in Arkansas and Oklahoma. So, you know, they're not the canary in the coal mine for us. Now, our peer conferences, you know, we, we look to see what's going on with the MIAA, the Gulf South, the Lone Star, um, schools that are located in in communities that look like in Arkadelphia or a Weatherford or a Russellville. So, you know, we hate it for that league. And you know, there's, there's a lot of concern with, you know, some of the folks on the West coast and you know, people on, on the East coast going forward. Um, you know, the Great Lakes here in collegiate conference, Michigan's in a little bit different place than, than some of the rest of us are. But, you know, I think those folks of us and, you know, it's kind of a loaded term when you use it, so I'm afraid to use it. Um, but those of us kind of quote-unquote in the heartland who are a little more rural with um, – I think we're in a much better position to to be able to look to go forward this fall than, than say, some – obviously the California schools have already postponed the semester or, or schools located in the Northeast Corridor or some of the other – some of the other situations in Division Two. 
That was, it, it seems like it was a long time ago, but the date of their release from the CCAA only says May 12th. It seems like it was much longer ago than that, only, uh, you know, about three weeks ago. But then we move forward uh, to last week when, uh, you know, the uh, the announcement came um, about what uh, commissioners and the D2 President's Council had been talking about, you know, the survey was done that you mentioned. Uh, the President's Council lowered the maximum and minimum number of contests for the 2020-21 school year only. Talk a little bit about that process and and what that looks like for uh, for the for the the sports and some of the rationale uh, between that. You kind of touched on it, uh, uh, some financial thing, but also a combination of financial uh, considerations and safety considerations, uh, probably combined with all that. Absolutely, and the one thing I can tell you about that process, Chris, I, I hope I. And we've got a few more surveys out there, but I hope I never see the word survey data again. <laughs> um, it, it's funny. I ended, I ended up with the front row seat for some of this inadvertently. Um, the NTA had started some preliminary discussions on through the athletic directors association and people on various campuses, just you know, questions like, what happens? Would you be willing to play all of your sports in in the spring if we can't start in the fall? Would you be willing to reduce games? Would you be willing to re- change tournament formats? Would you be willing to to um, limit NCAA championships if it means everyone gets more regular season play? And we're in the middle of a Division Two Commissioners Association meeting, and uh, you know we're, we're kind of going around the around the zoom call and people are, well, I I don't know. I I don't know how my membership feels about it. And I'm like, well, I sent my folks a a survey sparrow and, you know, here's exactly where all of our people fall on it. And and the next thing I know, I've been volunteered to conduct a survey of the entire division two membership (laughs) with, with, um, 29 questions that, you know, what, what would be the, if you're willing to cut games, how many games, you know, some of the championship questions and so on. And and the short version of the results is approximately 85% of athletic directors felt like they needed the economic relief of playing fewer games this year. Um, so, so some of those discussions go go forward through the NTA, through the NTA legislative process, the Division II Legislative Committee, the Division II membership committee the division two championship committee and all of those are roughly 12 person bodies with with representatives from division two schools usually there's one for each region and a couple of at-large folks they all gave their spin on it and it went forward to to the division two management council which is a group of a group of athletic directors, commissioners, senior women administrators, faculty athletic representatives, they endorsed the concepts that came through the, the commissioners and the athletic directors and, and the other membership groups. They sent it forward to the President's Council, and the President's Council gave the final go-ahead on producing so- softball from 56 to 44, Baseball from 50 to 40, basketball 26 to 22, football 11 to 10, um, volleyball from 
and, and volleyball is a little bit different because volleyball is a date sport. Some right. of our other sports are games. They went from 26 dates to 20 dates. So they could play more than 20 games because you're allowed to play multiple multiple games on those dates. Golf went, um, I believe it was 21 to 16, and some of these I'm throwing off the top of my head. Right. But, you know, the, in general, a 15 to 25% reduction in play with the thought that we want to do all we can, that we don't cut into people's conference schedules, that student-athletes would still be able to work their way through a full full schedule of conference competition. And in some cases, people have even bulked up their conference competition. Um, it, we really felt that's where we want to put the value. And in some sports – and now, now we're going to start the second week of of September, rather earlier in September. And that gives us another week to try to, you know, we're not having to bring football players in conceivably before you bring the rest of the student body in. So things like that that will make things a little bit easier for our institutions. But it was, it's, it's kind of funny. I had you know, talked to a couple of media members who, you know, almost were under the impression this uh, this was something that came out of a, a president's meeting and it just you know kind of formed out of thin air from that meeting. But you know, Chris, there was probably five weeks of dis- of discussion, and um, you could you could cut down a small forest with all the, <laughs> the the survey results that were done on behalf of the commissioners association, athletic directors association. And then when the NCAA did their own, their own surveys. So that was on the 20th, May 20th. Then we fast forward to today when the GAC released the updated 2020 football schedule, uh, reflecting the maximum, the now the, for this school year only, the maximum number of contests of 10, and then also a, a GAC basketball schedule that will eliminate non-conference contests. Uh, take us a little bit through that process, and um, with the you know uh, uh, you know twelve teams in the in the conference uh, had been an eleven team conference football uh, schedule. Now you had to drop one game from everybody, and I would imagine travel and things had to uh, come into account. But take us a little bit through that process to to help fans understand uh, how that uh, how that came about. Sure, and I'm glad you pointed out a minute ago. These reductions, these changes are planned one-year change. You, know, you never know what happens. Again, you know, the only thing that's certain right now is uncertainty. <laughs> but, yeah. If, yeah. but if we can return to some form of normalcy, you know, to a person across Division Two, we want to be back at the 11-game football schedule, the 26-game plus exempt basketball games, et cetera. But we got a little bit of an early jump in the GAC. You could, you could, I think, read where the tea leaves were going after, after these proposals had worked their way through, through the membership committee and the championship committee. So we actually put together, um, it, it was about a month ago, we put together three different subgroups, our our athletic directors met on um, May May eighth, and I think it was May the eighth and May the twentieth. And but before that May eighth meeting, 
we we separated our athletic administrators into three different groups a championship subcommittee that would look at ways that we could economically contest our championships in in the coming year um a scheduling subgroup that made initial recommendations and looked at some various scheduling models and a just generic cost savings and where are some areas that within the way we operate you know doing a, a typical great american conference football game or basketball game or or various pieces you know where can we economize where can we save money so we had those three separate subgroups they made recommendations to the athletic administrators and we talked through some of those in our first meeting um had you know kept developing those you know by that point you know, we received what what came out of what came out of president's council so we put together you know, for for football and basketball um some revised schedules and chris i have learned I, I joke with people, you know, I, I've always got friends and, until you bring up two things, officiating and schedules. And sometimes, <laughs> as hard as it is to believe, I think sometimes people get madder over schedules than they do officiate. That's saying a um, lot. So, you know, you, sometimes it's, and our schedule is usually not that difficult. Um, we, we have a few things that are difficult. Um, you know, I'm really happy our you know, then we football we schedule on a four year cycle. Our twenty twenty one through twenty twenty four schedule. Um, you know, one of the things we wanted to identify to do is to try to prevent um, Henderson and Washita each having home games on the same day. And we do that by and large in the next scheduling cycle. Um, you know, we we run everything sort of off a travel partner pairing. Um, so if you go to Northwestern one year, you're not going to go to Southwestern in the same year. Um, you know, if if a, one of the Oklahoma schools, you know, out of the four South Arkansas schools, you'll never go to more than two of those in the same year. And but work through all of those principles, and you know, usually it's not that terrible to make it work out. But when you've got to do a schedule and schools want to preserve their 12 existing homecoming dates right? and homecoming dates that right now we're just keeping our fingers crossed that, that you actually you know, have one resemble anything like a normal homecoming. Um, that is a degree of difficulty that, that I don't think I ever want to deal with that again. I like being able to do the schedule and then you figure out when homecoming is. Right. But Chris, as we went through for football, Okay, here, here's a couple of overarching principles. We we want to make sure that everybody retains their in-state games. Um, and the way our schedule worked out, you know, obviously you know, everyone remembers the the ESPN three game last year, Washita Harding to start the season. You know, it would have been the return date week one start the season, Washita Harding, but Two of our six games um, were out of state. Four of six were in state. And obviously, if we're trying to do things to economize, you know, we don't want to lose a, a week out of our schedule that includes four in-state games. Right. 
So just saying we're going to eliminate week one and pick up from there really was never an option. So when you go from there, there were a few there were a few priorities that we wanted to put into place. We wanted to make sure that, and we didn't know if the schedule would be a nine-game schedule or a ten-game schedule because there there was some support um, all the way through the process at the NCAA level and the GAC level of maybe we should only play nine. So, but looking at it, okay, either nine or ten, you want to separate – if you can, UAM and SAU from Northwestern and Southwestern, that's by far the longest trips in the league. Um, going, going into, going from there. Okay. Now we've separated that. Okay. We want to make sure that the two Arkadelphia schools play East central and Southeastern because, you know, conceivably if that's a, you know, a kickoff that's that's a six o'clock kickoff or even a three o'clock kickoff. You know, it's possible to get up and make that a one day trip as opposed to um, the trip that um, that you have to burn a hotel night. Right. Um, along the same lines, you wanted to prioritize um, the travel pairings of Arkansas Tech Harding playing against Oklahoma Baptist and Southern Nazarene. You know, maybe getting to Cersei in one day would be difficult, but um, the two Oklahoma schools to Arkansas Tech are, you know, one's a three-hour trip, one's a three-and-a-half-hour trip, doable one-day trips. So we want, so we prioritize those games are going to get played. So after you go through those principles, you're left, okay, UAM and UAM-SAU won't play Northwestern, Southwestern in a nine-game schedule. Arkansas Tech and Harding won't play Southeastern and East Central in a nine-game schedule. Washita and and Henderson won't play Oklahoma Baptist and um, Southern Nazarene in a nine-game schedule. To get to a ten-game schedule, okay, now everybody has two teams that they aren't playing. Well, half of those schools have five home games at this point. The other half only have four home games. So, and it's very easy to tell because of whether you get to a rivalry game at home or not. Right. So, so this year, Washita, they they're at Henderson. Henderson, um, you're paired with Oklahoma Baptist and Southern Nazarene, and who you potentially wouldn't play. Well, the Oklahoma Baptist Southern Nazarene game this year is at Oklahoma Baptist, so you're left with. Oklahoma Baptist has five home games. Um, Southern, Henderson State has five home games. Um, Washtai has four. So now Oklahoma Baptist goes to, goes to Washtai Baptist, and I've got way too many OBUs and Baptists. I'm, <laughs> I'm about to get myself tongue twisted here. But um, so – Oklahoma Baptist goes to Washita to give each school five home games. Um, Henderson goes to Southern Nazarene to give Southern Nazarene five home games. So that's how we got to the tenth game, and and you know who that you miss as an opponent. So that you know there was actually a a process and principles that we wanted to work our way through um, 
in determining who would play who or who wouldn't play who. And, you know, that, that just happened to mean the 10th game for Washita ended up being a, a game that they originally would have played at Oklahoma Baptist. Now that game's at Washita Baptist. And to balance the home, I keep, I keep wanting to say OBU. Right. Well, but, we, but we, I'm going to confuse somebody if I do. We know who you're talking about. But um, <laughs> and just like Todd Miller would know who you're talking about if you said it, OBU for them, right? Exactly. Um, but it, that, that's how we arrived at how Washita does not play Southern Mass or Henderson doesn't play Oklahoma Baptist or UAM doesn't play Swasu. That's how we got around to who's eliminated from your schedule and why a couple of those games might be in a different location than they had been previously. Sounds like a lot of fun. It, it's a lot like put, putting a Rubik's cube together. Right, I was going to say puzzle, but Rubik's cube is probably more uh, more of a, a good a better analogy. Uh, you, you you went over football with basketball. I guess the biggest thing is that uh, uh, no non conference games, and it's just going to be all all conference games beginning in uh, mid November. And. Uh, this was a really good job by, by our athletic administrators. I, I thought that group was so collegial when we put this together. We and we originally had a schedule that we would finish. We'd play four games before Christmas and finish on December 19th. With everyone trying to work their way around, around non-conference games and then pick back up literally over New Year's weekend. But as we're starting to see, I think at least half of our membership, maybe more, will start earlier in August. And if they're not done with finals by Thanksgiving, they'll be done with in-person classes. Right. So, you know, there was a little bit more of an urgency for us to try to, you know, one, we needed to fill that space if we're not playing non-conference games. So we moved some games up into Earlier into November, we've moved moved some games into the Thanksgiving weekend. Um, playing on Thursday, Saturday, that first week of of December, so we're done by December the fifth. Don't start back up until January seventh, and then get back into the normal Thursday Saturday routine for for the rest of the schedule. But uh, you know, just trying to move some of those games around early on and. And our administrators made sure that we're going to give people flexibility that if they need to move a game because of a finals conflict or or a graduation conflict. And, you know, Chris, I would be usually uh, I roll my eyes. I hate first semester graduation because it's because lots of times it's sort of a pain for us to, to work around the basketball schedule. But if, if we have to work around first semester graduations in our basketball facilities, that will be one of the most wonderful things ever because that means that you know, we're somewhat you – know, we may not be back to normal, but we're starting to head back that way if we're, if we're having in-person graduations. Right. Things that maybe have, have traditionally been frustrations, maybe uh, for this year anyway, maybe blessings because – I think, you know, and I do appreciate all the time you've taken. I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I do want to wrap up with this. We have all these plans, and, and I th- even in your tweet, when you you posted a couple of uh, tweets today regarding this, and we talked beforehand, I said, I guess all plans are in pencil, and you said, well, it's almost like they're in chalk. 
uh, because there there are still so many unknowns. And and we may get a month down the road and things have to change again, but I, get, I know it's got to be uh, good for the institutions to have something to look forward to, although we know that things could change. Because I think uh, athletic administrators around the country have taken some heat when they say we're planning for business as usual. I don't think anybody gets past that. I think people stop right there. But every one of them has also said, but we know there are – uh, there is a distinct possibility that it won't be business as usual. I mean, I don't think anybody thinks it's going to be business as usual by, by any means, but plans have to be made, but then also flexibility has to be the continue to be the name because we just don't know what's going to happen over the next month and in the summer as we begin to uh, prepare to start the fall uh, semester in August and September. You know, Chris, the amazing thing, and just because it feels like it's been so long ago since – since mid-March when, when all of this occurred, um, you know, it's still a longer distance away to our first games than it was going back in time to when, um, as, as Coach Sharp described it, you know, we sort of hit that brick wall going right. 75 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, think of how much things have changed um, working backwards. So, you know, yeah, I, I want to be optimistic. Um, I think you can be optimistic without being foolish. Um, you know, you can't go into things with blind optimism, but uh, you know, certainly, you know, we want to prepare for a scenario where where we're able to compete on September twelfth. And I think that I really think that we're going to find that place. You know, it may be totally different than than anything that. Um, that we've ever looked at before, that we've ever seen. Um, you know, Chris, I joked, I said it was going to be part of my uniform this year. The the face mask I've got, uh, I ordered from an officiating supply company. It, it, it's made out of the same material as one of my officiating shirts. Um, you, know, it, you know, our listeners probably don't know, but the two of us, you know, go back beyond dealing with OBU. It's, right. Your time at um, at Arkadelphia High School and officiating high school football, I joked, you know, hey, this may be my 2020 uniform having to wear this mask. And, no doubt. You know, it may it may be things that we've never seen before, but um, we've got to do it safely. But I think, you know, our, the vast majority of our student-athletes, um, for what they do, for their mental health, for for their educations going forward, um, we don't want to put anyone's life at risk. Um, you know, we have at-risk populations that we're definitely going to have to account for and and take care of going forward. But uh, you know, I think our student athletes, our students, period. Um, it's going to be really good for them to get back on campus. You know, that experience could possibly be, it's going to be different than what it was in the past. But, um, you know, I really think that this group of people, we need to, we need to find ways to get them back engaged in the lives that they, that they had before mid-March, um, you know, for their health, for the health of our, institutions communities um it's going to be a lot of work there's a lot of things we're going to have to account for and take care of 
and you know, one day at a time. Well, Will, I, I really appreciate the uh, the time you spent with us today. We we haven't even gotten into the. Of course, I, I don't really think there's any need to talk about what do you expect about fans in the stands. What do you expect about this? What do you expect about that? Because there are so many unknowns, and we just got to get to the point where you're actually going to be able to play the contest, to play the games and the matches. And uh, thanks to to your um, your administrators in the conference for being so diligent with this and and putting out a plan because that's what you have. And uh, thanks for taking the time to explain that plan to us today as well. Hey, I really appreciate it. And you know, as things go forward, you know, if you or one of your students would like to chat again, I'd love to do it. All right, thanks. Will Pruitt, uh, Commissioner of the Great American Conference. Tenth uh, year of the conference, what a way to celebrate a tenth birthday uh, with COVID-19. But uh, we do take, uh, appreciate you taking your time. Thanks for your work on this, and we look forward to talking to you again and seeing you at a game in the fall on one of these campuses. Thanks, Chris. Again, a huge thanks to Will Pruitt, the Commissioner of the Great American Conference, for taking his time out uh, late on a Friday afternoon of what was a busy day in the Great American Conference with the release of new schedules for football and basketball. Some fascinating information there all the way through, but uh, one of the things that uh, he, he alluded to was that our relationship between myself and Will goes back to when I was the athletic director for the Arkadelphia Public School District, and Will is an official in the state of a high school football official in the state of uh, of Arkansas and uh, has uh, had a few of our games and he talked about I don't think I have people get mad, any more mad at me uh, in two areas other than than officiating and scheduling and I thought the way he explained how those schedules were balanced out uh, just uh, really showed that there was a method to the madness obviously people are going to be upset one way or the other uh, but, uh, you know, I, the line in there when, when, when I told Will, I think some of our frustrations, the things that might have been frustrations in the past, hopefully can be viewed as blessings in the future if we are able to get back to uh, athletic competition this fall in some sense of normalcy. So, again, our thanks to Will Pruitt. Our next episode will be up shortly as... Matthew Branch, a student in the Washtenaw Sports Digital Network, will get an update on Washtenaw Athletics and how the coaches and staffs and and training staffs are planning for uh, the fall. As we are uh, early in June, as the recording and posting of this, but uh, fall will be here before we know it, and plans have to be made. We thank Coach Sharp for spending his time visiting with Matthew on our next edition. Again, we thank you for listening to Talking with Tiger. Share this. Tell your friends about it. We'd love for you to uh, uh, be updated on what all is going on. And we look forward to our students getting back to you in the fall back on campus and producing more events for the Washtenaw Sports Digital Network. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you next time with Matthew Branch and Washtenaw Athletic Director David Sharp. The Washita Sports Digital Network is the student sports media production program of the Rogers Department of Communications at Washita Baptist University. For more information on OSDN, email us at osdn at obu.edu or visit our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.